0: This is Remote Ruby.
1: Have you any remote ideas
2: to the meaning of the word? <laughs> noise gate on your microphone is some weird there. He's <laughs> still going. Oh, well, when I started talking is when the noise gate no longer registered it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're cutting him off. Paul can also cut him off anytime he wants.
1: That's bad. true. He's
0: got... Paul, make it longer. Hard cut. <laughs> Paul, make that thing... Hard cut. 20 minutes. Pad this episode. Yeah, it'll just be
1: the whole episode in the background. It's that little clip of you at like 10% volume the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Oof. I feel like just jumping into something right away. Technical. Sounds Do you guys use any virtual generated columns at... The old podiatrist. What?
2: Wait. <laughs> What's a virtual column? Is that like mm, a? It's like is you're that playing like virtual into Virtual girlfriends. <laughs> they're real in theory, uh, <laughs> but you pay the price. I don't know. So you can. Are they like So you can
1: do. Yes, they're non fungible columns in your database.
2: Okay. I'm down for a non fungible.
0: <laughs> no, Sounds the like gas a, fees are too high. The gas fees are too high. <laughs>
2: hey, man. Should use diesel.
0: We got that in the water here. The diesel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a city like five minutes from the little suburb of Memphis had 300 gallons of diesel fuel spilled in the water supply. And so my <laughs> friends were turning on oh, their faucets God. and it just smelled diesel fuel. I had <laughs> whole families come into my house to shower for a week. It was in exactly. diesel because they wanted to shower in diesel. <laughs> yeah. No, luckily, yeah. I had the good. I had the good water. The non. Yeah. Not the, that uh, unwanted crap. They like go
1: into your shower with a diesel container and fill it up. <laughs> yeah. Like, Thanks, Jason. We'll see that, you next week.
2: Coming to shower at his, at his house. He means he's got like a hose like hooked up and he's filling I up trucks out have,
0: there.
2: I didn't have the diesel. Had the diesel.
1: I'm gonna be real yeah. disappointed when I come down today and there's no diesel in
0: your water i'll get some i'll get some
2: <laughs> dude, that's like that's the like gas fees gold, are too dude. high <laughs> apparently not
0: at your house
1: jeez uh, what was i doing this week oh i was searching for a user in the database an administrator just has a single field and it's like we'll query every single column with that value which is like simple but we're using name of person And of course, name a person is like, we'll give you a fake name attribute on the Ruby side, and then we'll split it into first and last name columns. And I was like, that's fine and all, but we want to be able to search by first and last name together. And what I had previously done was like, we'll split the query on the first space, and then we'll query the first name field with that and the last name field with everything left over, just like the way that the library splits them. And that's fine and all, but I happened to be reading one of the Saloon blog or something, and it was like, "Yeah, that Rails is
0: amazing." Anger, By the
2: way, yeah,
1: Banger blog. It is. Big Binary's also got similar. Here's everything that's new in Rails when the PRs drop, which are awesome. Happened to be like, "Oh shoot, I forgot about that." That. Rails 7 added support for virtual columns for Postgres. They've supported virtual columns for MySQL and MariaDB or whatever for some time. But a virtual... They're also called generated columns, but you can take two columns, like first and last name, and then make a name or full name column that is automatically generated based on those two values, and you just concatenate them with the space in between, and it, like... We'll auto update that anytime that you change first or last name. So it's almost like everybody hates callbacks. It's almost like you got a
0: callback in your database,
2: which is cool,
0: right? The database is one big callback. Boom, roasted. That sounds cool. And I think Jamie actually sent this to me earlier this week. Well, three weeks ago on one of the
1: PRs to fix a feature in this, Jamie was on there, which is why I wanted to bring it up because... I was like, "Oh, this is perfect. This makes my little user mentions or search or whatever pretty convenient. So we don't even need Elasticsearch, Maily Search, PG Search, or whatever. Like we don't need a index that does the combination of those. We can just like because one of my goals with uh, Jumpstart is to now it was like heavily Postgres focused, but Planet Scale is pretty awesome, and there's really nothing that we Need that's like Postgres only. So I removed PG search so that you just switch it over to MySQL, like the trilogy client or whatever, and should be able to run it with Planet Scale or MySQL or whatever on the back end. But this was one of those things where I was like, I'm not super happy with this generic solution here. So the generated column actually gets stored in the database too you can tell it to do that and otherwise it'll be like calculated on the fly but if it's stored you can query on it and stuff you could probably query on the virtual ones but it's probably always a sequence scan or whatever which wouldn't be great but anyways i did that and i was like sick this is great i gotta delete all this code and replace it with this little additional virtual generated column and then i'll make a screencast on it of course I start the screencast and generate my Rails app and it's like SQLite by default, which SQLite supports virtual generated columns. Rails does not for SQLite, just added it for Postgres. So I assume that either I will be doing this soon or someone will applying that to the SQLite adapter in Active Record for that feature, but that was like the schema i, I do the screencast so you can generate the column and then i open up the schema to show hey look it's just like every other column but this schema was like we can't dump the user's table like we don't know what the hell you're talking about and i was like uh-oh so i recreate the app in postgres and that works fine and i go to the rails console and i'm like user create first name chris last name oliver it returns the user and we look at the name field and it's no and i like, no. So what happens is also if you update and you change like the last name, it keeps the old value. And what happens is on create, the insert call has a returning ID and it says only give us back the ID. So active record says we're just going to update the ID column and assume that everything is the same data in the database as what you gave us for the insert. But it's not aware currently that it needs to also return the generated column data, so it can update the active record instance with the correct values for those. And then the update does the same thing, where it's like, you updated these columns, we're good, it succeeded, but it doesn't know that like the name was also changed because it's tied to that or whatever. So there's a couple of PRs, and Jamie had commented on one of them, was like. Ran into this, was going to use this for a feature in Podia or something and was like, well, until this is fixed, guess we can't uh, use that. And he tried that PR and it fixed it and stuff. So fingers crossed, somebody from the Rails core team will see those couple PRs and get those merged because everything is like perfect for it once those are done. And it works just like any other attribute and you like get this feature, which is great. So if you wanted to store... Somebody's example is like separate columns for upvotes and downvotes and then calculating the total votes as a column that you could query by. You can just add those two columns together. You could convert inches to centimeters or other logic for your generated columns. It's a cool feature and it's like kind of surprising that Rails hasn't fully supported that yet. So I was like, of course, recording a screencast again and I'm like, hey guys, check out this cool feature. And then, yeah. Turns out it's buggy and not complete yet. And my screencast is not near as exciting as I had hoped. But pretty soon, it looks like it'll be fixed. And I don't know what the policy is on that, where it's like, if they fix that, does it get backboarded into Rails 7.0? Or is it only a 7.1 thing? Because it's technically like a bug with 7.0. So I don't know how Rafael handles those situations like that. But I would assume that would maybe get backported to 7.0. You guys use any of the generated or virtual columns in the database before?
2: Apparently, if Jamie's running Podia on a branch of Rails.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, he's just forked Rails. You guys are off
1: the Rails Great. now.
2: Oh, no. I think I've heard of it, but I've never used one. i never heard it explained. It's
1: kind of a said. specific use case. Yeah. Where you like technically have the data and you want to cache the
2: slight calculation on top of it or something. That's about all it is. Personally, I don't hate callbacks. I've gotten roasted at conferences before for this take, but I still have it. But Jason hates them, so Jason why? Yeah, and cucumbers. I'm yeah. going to Armadillos. I'm going to
0: answer your question with a thought I had earlier. Okay. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, 6 minutes ago. The name of person Jim from base camp. That takes a name and splits it in first and last name. The tagline should be, if you ain't first, you're last. Okay. I'm sold on that. Okay. That, that... that pretty much
2: answers okay, the okay. question. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That I'm, wraps up this episode. I'm now an 11X developer. <laughs> no, I've been
0: thinking about callbacks because you might remember the old Active Record cookbook. That I said I would start last year, while well, I started working on it again. And callbacks are a topic in my mind because first I was like, I'm going to do a lot of like mixture of Active Record and database stuff, and I'm doing a lot of Active Record stuff right now. It's really big in Active Record. Call in shit back, wasn't it I? Like a callback. Jorge's
1: post talking about those things. Like callbacks yeah, like aren't attributes, and callbacks. yeah, and callbacks aren't bad. A lot of people like to say. Flat out, any callback, absolutely bad. And it's never, never the case. You can never say it It is always bad. There are always great situations where that is perfect. But there are also ways that it gets abused. It is a sharp knife. You can stab yourself with it
0: if you would like. We don't recommend it, but... I used to be camp, no callbacks ever. And then my answer for everything now is it depends. Hear me out. Is an HTTP request a callback? Oh no. Wait,
1: no. In what context? Because you sent a thing and an event happened and you
2: Hold run on. Where's it. Where's the and map? I got to pull the so, TCP map.
1: So maybe your whole Rails app is a callback itself. So you can't be anti callback, right? I don't know that I'm with you on this one. Well, think of the yeah. HTTP request as a save to the database call in Active Record. But it, HTTP your, request doesn't trigger a call Your Rails app. But the HTTP request calls an action, which is the callback for "Hey, this URL was sent a request, so we need to process it." Just like you do with your callbacks.
0: Yeah, last time I showed up, everything the is Ruby, the same. Ruby recording. Andrew somehow pinch and hold me into every app needs one model. Yeah, one table, one one column, one JSON single, column, single, single one record
2: inheritance.
1: Yeah. I, used to I hope this call. is the core of your book. Yeah, yeah. one model, one JSON column, oh, one J- call. You you spell it
0: JSON. <laughs> do you have a gym for <laughs> <laughs> always? So, anyways, I
1: mean. back to your book about callbacks. Oh yeah.
2: Anyway, <laughs> why callbacks? I'm trying to play? find.
0: I'm trying to find the balance of explaining what I think are like good and not good use cases for callback problem I have with callbacks is that they're so convenient and they're so like easy to use. But that's also the thing that always like cuts me a little bit because Boomer energy. So the I think the main things
1: I can think of are like you have callbacks like a normalize where you always want to strip the spaces on an email address or white space where you never want to not do that. You always, always want to do that. And that's a perfect like case for a callback where they get to be tricky is when you have, for example, you have reconfirmable in devise where it's like, if you updated your email, we're not actually going to change it right away until you confirm it by sending an email to it. And the user clicks the link. So in that case, I had customer support thing this week. Reconfirmable is on. I go into the admin area to update this guy's email address, but It was like trying to send to an email address that didn't exist anymore and confirm his address. And I need to just skip the dang callback so that I can just directly update the email address there. And you have to call a skip reconfirmation method on your model and devise, which sets an instance variable to true so that when the actual callback runs, it allows you to skip the callback. And that to me is one of those things where it's like, well, the callback is now something that's conditional, and you want to be able to do it two different ways, like updating your profile. Sometimes you want to update your profile without your current password. Other applications want you to confirm those changes with your current password. And those are like, we should just have two method calls for those different operations and not have a single entry point that we have to like set a flag to decide how it branches internally. That's where I think callbacks are often misused because it's like you don't have a situation that always needs to run. You have a conditional here and you've got to set a flag externally for that to know what to do when it runs. And
0: that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, I have some like high level rules. I don't have like good examples for them, but I, like I don't love making HTTP requests and callbacks. I don't like sending emails and <laughs> no. callbacks no. or I'm sometimes okay in the right situation. That's another one where it's like, do we
1: always want to make the HTTP request? Do we always want to send an email? If we're importing users in a background process, do we want to email everybody? Like we got to have a way to turn it off. So I'd rather have an explicit save with a wrapper around save. We have the save method and we have a save and send email or whatever. And we just call that from our controller, but then our import thing could just call the regular old
0: save and I'd rather just put it in the controller.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that's what that I do most too. of the time. But if you the, did want to like put that in the model and maybe there's a little more complicated thing going on where you, you wanted to have a little wrapper method. I don't mind those. I use that a lot. And I think actually way back in the day, the Ryan Bates, Railscast episode on Stripe was the one that like initially taught me that idea. He had a checkout registration form where it was like, you have to put your credit card in and we'll collect your email and password at the same time. And he had a save with Stripe or something. And it first checks to see if the record is valid, which verifies the email address is unique and the password is correct and whatever. And then it goes, creates you on Stripe and then takes the ID and then adds it to your user and then saves you to the database. So it does its best to do all the local app validations. And then if that HTTP request to Stripe failed, that would also get caught. It was kind of like a little wrap around the combo process there, which is kind of cool. Because otherwise you end up with... Validate, then create in Stripe. And then if that fails or whatever, we got to rescue that. Maybe we got to delete that Stripe customer because we created them before we created the record in the database. And it gets tricky to handle that sometimes.
2: My smell test is if there is a potentially destructive action that could occur, something that, like Chris is saying, like, wait, I'll really write on something that you may not always want to happen. I've been working with a bunch of records recently. And I have to call validate false every time because if I call validate true, it's going to do something that I don't want it to do. And because of that, right. I have to skip the call. And I have to be careful every time I do this because of that. And it's so like, because there's a potentially destructive, not as in destroying something, but as in like something will change. And I don't want it to change if I do this.
0: It's an unexpected side effect.
2: Yeah. And a side effect that. Maybe is not easy to undo, is not able to be undone. But the fact, if there's potential for something to need to be undone in a callback, that's like a smell for me.
0: The data normalization example is a good example of a callback. The places where these actually normally bite me, like it does happen in the app, but it's testing is where like I usually end up. Oh, yeah. Some, like, what yeah. The F moments where like, sometimes you have a callback and maybe it creates a very like tightly coupled association that needs to belong so you create it like an after create but then you're like six months later where the hell is this other record coming from when you're writing the spec all of a sudden you're (laughs) like you don't remember that kind of stuff i was just thinking that the smell test that i use is i turn
1: on the faucet and smell if it smells like diesel fuel that is a good smell test for
2: i had a i had a callback this week I was trying to test well, I was trying to test something in this That callback- was a good callback, Chris. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I hate your callback, girl. <laughs> Every time this callback would run, it would set like a timestamp on a record, which is fine. But when I was trying to test it, I was like, okay, and then assert that the time equals this time. And I'm like, oh wait, but I can't do that. And I'm like, okay, well, now I have to stub time.now.
1: Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Honey Badger. If you're like most developers, too much of your time gets sucked up with downtime issues, troubleshooting, and error tracking. How can you spend more time shipping code and less time putting out fires? Honey Badger's How. It's a suite of monitoring tools specifically for developers. It's the only system that combines error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron and heartbeat monitoring into a clean, fast interface. Sure, you can get familiar with any interface, but why waste your time learning some Franken interface? That looks like an airline cockpit when what you really need is clarity and speed. You won't know if Honey Badger will really save you time and trouble until you see how it works in your own toolchain. With two lines of code in five minutes, you can see for yourself. Honey Badger automatically hooks into popular web frameworks, job systems, authentication libraries, and your front end JavaScript. Magic fixing errors before your users can even report them. That is a wonderful way to delight your customers. Five minutes of your time with the free trial is all it takes to see if it will work for you. Just might be the best five minutes you've spent in a while. Check out honeybadger.io. I had refactored the code for Simple Calendar this week or last week maybe, and somebody reported a little bug, and I was fixing that bug. And the test suite was failing on a couple tests. And I was like, this is weird because they passed in CI. And it was like, I made an event that was like current time plus 24 hours. So the event would span two days on the calendar. But if you ran the test at a specific time or whatever, there was one of those fixtures where it would span three days or one day or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh. Of course, I ended up running the tests with the fixture that works at the current time. But when it gets closer to like UTC midnight, it spans the wrong number of days or whatever. I was like, of course, but it sent me for a loop for a while, just trying to debug it. And you're like, what
2: the heck? Why are these numbers different? Why does it find three of these items instead of two? <laughs> I had a spec that would only fail before 9. AM. <laughs> <laughs> I, those... At 9 a.m. it would work. <laughs> that's, like, me and a friend like finally figured that one out. That's like, a feature, not a bug. Those are
1: great. And your solution, obviously, is to change CI so it only runs at 9 a.m. or after, right?
2: No, it's to delete the test, obviously. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. My takeaway was not work before 9 a.m. Well, that's funny you say that because the person who had written the test didn't start work until 9 a.m. Eastern. And so it was the start of their day. And that was why I think it had to do with the start of the work day. Beautiful. And that's why it didn't work when we started our work day. It started when he started his work day. (laughs) That's big brain. I like it. This is great.
0: Oh, computers. They are always perfect. I used a library that i got to look up the name for, but that I want to talk about. The
1: The Memphis Public Library?
0: It's f 12 library is pretty banging no HTML pipeline. Uh, yeah. So, the GitHub gem for Markdown uh, or like yeah.
1: not necessarily Markdown. Well, it's one of the features of it, which most
0: people had used
1: back in the day. for yeah, That red carpet. So it's yeah, crammed
0: uh, down. It takes some HTML and you can set different like transformers and things like that, like different transformations. It runs through Bumblebee so, and yeah, there's some Optimus pride. Yeah. There's some different ones like...
2: <laughs> Andrew was can, like, what is he talking
0: about? <laughs> Sorry. I'm
2: listening, Jason. So, like I'm not transforming.
0: The, the example they have using GitHub is find GitHub links and link to PRs or... Right. Machines. Yeah. Because they're really
1: good about this alpha numeric string of eight characters is a SHA that we should link or try to link because it could just be eight. Characters that are a word or something or a username or whatever, but they do a lot of that really well, really well. That's one of
0: the things i most love about GitHub, but I am using it because my text editor in job or Lee has variable support. I wanted to take a body of content and replace all the variables. And this thing is so good at that. Yeah. I've used it for that before. Cause there's like the auto link
1: thing where it's any http https words that start with that character or whatever it can link them for you and yeah that's an
0: old gem super old because that was one of the early github open source projects or something it's great i never used it i came across it it was the perfect use case i think and we still pull it up and i'm almost certain
1: we still use that for comments on go rails That's been like since day one or something that we use HTML pipeline and the helpers blog helper, or we must've moved to red carpet at some point. But yeah, I used to use HTML pipeline for that. I don't remember why I switched it or whatever, man. That makes me nostalgic because I remember the early days of GitHub and in college and just being like, wow, they're hiring every cool person ever when they were... They're on their hiring spree back in the early days and growing and stuff and publishing like tons of cool open source things for Ruby and Rails and whatever. Still doing cool stuff, but I feel like there was just a ton of like little tools like this all over the place they were pumping out back in the day.
0: It's cool. I probably talked about this, but I built similar action text style structure for my content. So like each thing that uses this editor has like a rich content record. And I combine this with, you were talking about render in last week or the week before last, the render in method rails. And so I added like to this model render in, and when it goes to call that is where I actually do the, the pipeline processing. And so now in the views, I can just be like render record.content or whatever, and which calls this mod instance, calls render in. I also do some other little like cleanup things, but yeah, I'm really happy that it made it feel- It's
1: so like straightforward how it works, which I love because it's just not very complicated. I was kind of curious what rails does because you can do render my rich text association or whatever, and it'll render that out, but I wasn't sure how they wired that up. If that's using render in or something else. It used to use a partial, right? You know? Yeah, it does somewhere, but I can't remember. I know I read the code for that at some point. Oh, maybe it's like the two partial path. Cause it is actually a active record object. What I was thinking of was the body Attribute is serialized as an action text content, which is what that gives right. you the extra functionality and stuff of two plain text and whatever, two tricks, HTML. But the render of the actual active record object works just like any other active record object where you render a current user and it's, oh, this is a user... First of all, it's like, oh, this is an active record object. So then we can ask to partial path and we can render that or whatever. And that's like in the render method itself or something. And that, I don't know which takes precedence. Cause if you added a render in method to your active record object, I'm not sure which it would
0: call first. That'd be interesting to, to know, but the thing that, yeah. that kind of bummed me out was that render in just throws away all the arguments that it gets. So, like in the template, if I say like render this object and I want to give it some like locals or something, the actual implementation just splats args, doesn't use them, and only sends the view context in. And that took me a while to like figure out. You're not passing in the the variables into the object you're using. So, like, I need this like high level board concept, and each record think of it as like an action text rich text record so it's just like a database record that belongs to a record that's polymorphic so i'm not necessarily guaranteed that each one of those records belongs to what i need so i wanted to pass in what i needed to the, the render card uh, which is I see. The, the list of variables but all the variables <clears throat> come from the board so yeah
1: you would now, almost need like a few object that like a component class that's like give me the text thing plus any local context that I need and then pass that into render in. And it could be the one that decides what to do with it.
0: I thought would be cool if it functioned like rendering a partial where you can just pass shit in and yeah. stick it in. But yeah, it's fine. I, cause I it really render. doesn't
1: render it and really doesn't care. It's just, here's the current view context and the block and right. that's what you get. Yeah. We just wrapped up our little component stuff for jumpstart pro. So if anybody is, Using that, we've got like our modals and tabs and slide overs, and we'll have ones for buttons and other little things. Instead of pulling in an entire library like View Component, we have a 50 line class that's the components and like the tabs just says renders many tabs, renders many panels, and wires up the stimulus controllers to that. And then just displays the navigation and the panels, and everything's done for you. So you're If you want to use the tabs component, you don't have to worry about like, how do I get the default styles for each of the tabs? And what's the active tab look like? And what's the inactive tabs look like? And whatever, like the components got all those applied for you. You just say these five tabs, these five panels, voila, you're done. It's cool. And it's nice to be able to like, you got something more complicated than add view component and use that because it works amazingly well. But we were like... Enough for you
2: to use it. Well,
1: every dependence we add is more harder things to maintain. So, if we could write that in... If we couldn't have written it under 100 lines of code, I would have used it. But it's like, this is 50 lines of code or whatever. It may not even be that or it's roughly that, but I've added a lot of comments to it and stuff and it's like next to nothing to accomplish the majority of what you want. So, whatever. The niceties that we maybe don't have for complex things go ahead use view component replace what we've got with that if you want our interface is almost the same for the the same things the uh, slots or whatever so like it should be very easy to swap over and we're just like this stuff it will never break cuz it's so simple it's just capture yeah. stuff and render it back out so all we're doing is literally saving stuff in variables so Nothing fancy there, which is always a win because it'll be super duper maintainable in the long run. And Rails won't be like removing the capture function because it's core to Rails. So our dependencies are just things that we know will never change in Rails. So I'm super duper happy to ship that and just keep it minimal and easy to maintain. But yeah, that's... Something we've been whittling away at all of our dependencies, like PG search and stuff, and just making them all either not needed or optional or whatever. Like we had access tenant as like a default gem and stuff, but like not everybody wants that. So now it's just a checkbox, like easy as that. And we're, we'll wire it up for you if uh, you check it on, but it'll be not in the gem file if you don't want it. So it's kind of nice to be like, just stripping it down and only having the, the dependencies you need. Because, man, I've done those Rails upgrades where looking in the mirror, somebody who was a little bit gem crazy and, oh, I'll add this for that and whatever. Just duct tape everything together and then comes a Rails upgrade or a Ruby upgrade and you're like, what have I done? <laughs>
2: looking at you, boot shop form four. <laughs>
1: I also very much enjoy the like, I've never used render in before, so let me go see what it takes to recreate the basic functionality of view component, because we've talked to Joel, he's done all kinds of awesome stuff for view component, and you can use it, and it's awesome what goes on behind the scenes and what are the challenges they ran into and whatever and in 50 lines of code you can discover all of those things and have a better understanding of action view and whatever that you may never have touched before how do the like output buffers work and what is the view context like it's a, a name for something that gets used but it's actually a view or whatever and it's not at view it's at view context and those little naming things can sometimes. Just open your eyes up a little bit more to like, how the hell does Rails actually work? And how does Raphael understand everything about what's going on? And these PRs for vastly different parts of Rails, guy is a genius. I was excited to see 7.07 dropped, and it was just like bug fixes and stuff, not a security update. wonder if they're creeping closer to Rails 7.1.0. How early do they usually do the release candidates and or betas
2: they always depends. don't they always do those not for the point releases I don't think for yeah the minor versions I guess maybe the majors I, I don't remember remember major
1: yeah so yeah I guess just the majors no six
2: point one got r c one and r c two so. yeah but if I remember correctly six point one was a little hefty
1: yeah it's always kind of funny because I feel like there's been a pattern of big changes like the jQuery change was in a minor release and I was like that's pretty major I've never seen this 5.0.0 dot race car one race cars
2: (laughs) let's go it was released the same
1: same day as RC one (laughs) race car one
2: you think that was the (laughs) autocomplete that's
1: hilarious well gentlemen It's good chatting. I got to go pack so I can drive down to Memphis to visit Jason. Be careful. Yeah, I will. uh, Wild video from Memphis today. (laughs) Oh boy. I will be sure to enjoy the tap water. Sounds like it's great. Their bridges I hear are very reliable as well. I'm wearing my Memphis Grizzlies t-shirt today. I'm all about Memphis today.
2: Yeah, no power, bad infrastructure. And the Grizzlies. (laughs) Yeah, and the Grizzlies. (laughs) Perfect. Bye. Bye.